0: Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for product managers, leaders, and innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master. Listen and get ready for higher performance for the doctor is in. Thanks so much for joining again. This is where product leaders and managers make their move to product masters, learning practical knowledge that leads to more influence and confidence so you'll create products that customers love. And I want you to know about the event of the year for product managers and product VPs to skill up. It's an online only event that you access from your computer, and it's coming soon, April 8th through 10th. I wanted to supercharge how this podcast has helped so many people and do it even in a bigger way by bringing together 24 incredible experts, people at the top of their field to help you excel in 2020. And we need this now more than ever before. When uncertainty increases, Product managers and innovators dig deeper. We know how to deal with uncertainty. And the masterclasses in this online summit will prepare you for what is ahead. You get strategies and insights from incredible people, including Alex Ulsterwalder, Ash Mariah, Nancy Duarte, Tony Alwick, Dan Olson, Andrew Warner, and many more. And by the way, did I mention? It's all free. Yes, free. You can register for free, but you have to register. Do that by going to the everydayinnovator.com slash summit and register for free. Do it now before you forget. And check this out. This online event is being promoted by the best product management communities, places with incredible resources for you. For example, Product Management Today. I love this place. They have new free resources every day that you can customize for your needs. Product Management Today is a community of more than 72,000 product managers. Wow, that's a big community. And Product Management Today brings together the widest set of expert, thought leadership, content from more than 200 leading sources. Powered by aggregate technology, like aggregate, but it's aggregate. They combine machine intelligence, smart algorithms, social media, and audience-driven data to deliver the most relevant insights to you directly in your inbox. That's insights customized to your needs. Sign up today to receive the custom-curated content. Sign up today to receive your custom-curated content at productmanagementtoday.com. Did I mention it's a community of more than 72,000 product managers? Oh, yeah. And now on to our topic for this episode— One of the most powerful tools available for product managers and innovators is, wait for it, it's reframing. Yes, reframing. We use it in two primary ways. First, to help us solve the right problem, and second, to take an existing innovation and apply it in a more valuable way. Our guest is a master at reframing, teaching organizations how they can use this powerful approach. He also shared the tools of reframing in his book, What's Your Problem?, published by Harvard Business Review. Kind of a catchy title. His name is Thomas Wiedel Wiedelsborg, and he has helped innovators across the globe. His contributions to innovation earned him the recognition as a top 20 international thinker. Get ready for some reframing. And remember, if you want to go get all the insights in a written format, we take the notes for you. You will find those at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 275. And another good reason to go there. I asked Thomas a question that's not in the interview, but you'll find the written response that he gave us. That question is, what are the challenges you've seen when groups try reframing, and what are your suggestions for overcoming these? Again, that's at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 275. Let's talk with Thomas. Thomas, thank you so much for joining the Everyday Innovators. Glad you are here with us because we're going to talk about solving problems And uh, as I was thinking about this, and you've done work on this, there's a book you have certainly we'll talk about in a moment. Um, As an engineering student way back when, I've talked with other engineers, and we all kind of share the same thing. We say, you know, if nothing else, engineering taught us to be good problem solvers, but Mm. only to a point. A lot of that depends on how we think about the problem. Uh, Why do you think it is that not everyone is kind of, at least maybe now, maybe we used to be and grew out of it, uh, kind of now naturally good problem solvers?
1: I think it's because there's almost a, uh, an, a missing part of problem solving. When, when you look at it, there's two components. There is what you can think of as idea generation, uh, and that's the part we're normally very good at. Uh, like Most people are, are adept at coming up with new ideas to solve a problem. There's another half as well, though, and that's what's called, uh, in the research, called problem-finding. The, the, the ability to go in and think creatively, not about solutions, but about the problem itself. And that's been vastly understudied. Uh, there, there's a meta review here uh, released in 2018 that compared the number of academic studies on these two things and basically found, depending on the area you look at, for every paper on problem finding... Uh, you could find something between six and a hundred times as many papers or studies on ideation and finding new ideas. So there is this gap, both in research and in in practice especially, about making people better, not coming out with solutions to a known problem, but to understand the problem they're trying to solve and even possibly see it in a different way. Okay.
0: Uh, we'll dive into this more, for sure. Uh, but to help us understand how to become better problem solvers, you have talked about this, uh, you know, research and book now. Um, so, you, you, know, you know, Thomas, what's your problem? The uh, It's a very catchy title for a book. I, I like the connotations there. Uh, at, when I l- just looked at the front of it, I immediately thought, well, you're, you're the, to kind of get to the punchline here, you're talking about reframing problems. Yeah. Um, and I thought about, you know, well, should it the... Title B what's your question? because yeah. uh, I think about reframing in terms of asking better questions. Um, yeah. just, just I don't know if you but the fat went through your mind as well. just how do you think about that?
1: I, uh, I see it the same way. Uh, reframing and uh, the ability to ask better questions are, are in a sense two sides of the same coin. Uh, the reason I ended up going with framing it, if you will, around problems and not questions is actually because of uh, my practical experience working with clients. So when I, uh, I've, I've been teaching this to uh, to people for uh, almost ten years now, and consistently, I just found that people, when you say like, well, you have to get better at asking questions. People agree. Like everybody's going, yes, this is important, but it is in some weird way considered a little bit of a nice to have skill. Whereas when you talk about problems, that's something that that that's people's own language around things. They they don't necessarily go in in a meeting and start talking about asking questions in different ways and so on. But everybody knows that kind of feeling, like I have a problem, and that that's just it has an an immediacy to it. Uh, that I felt most people reacted to in a, in a better way. Uh-huh. Uh, th- this is not a nice-to-have skill. This is absolutely crucial, not just for product innovators or, or organizational innovators, but also in our personal lives, for that matter, or go to talk politics, if you like. The, the ability here to deal with problems better. and So problems became really the, the, the focal point uh, of, the, of the book. Yeah,
0: and it makes for great connotations of the phrase, what's your problem? <laughs> Um, it's very catchy as well. But when we look at problems, it, it does often, if we're paying attention, it often seems to be the case that we spend a lot of time going down uh, kind of a rabbit hole in a manner uh, before we figure out, oh, this isn't the real problem. This is like a symptom of what's going on. Um, and sometimes we never figure that out, and, and we're not doing, moving things forward at all. Well, um, and getting reframing the problem becomes really important. And I see this mistake frequently, right? When when I'm reading even, you know, good research articles that are in, published in good, good journals, go, I don't think they actually looked at the right problem, right? It's, it, it's easy for all of us to, to stumble across this. So I'm hoping you can help us understand how we can do a better job thinking about, are we really looking at the right problem or not? Um, maybe to get started on there, I thought you might have an example you can share Uh, to help lead us into this, and then we'll we'll talk about some of the tools or steps.
1: Yeah, and I I have several uh, uh, real-world examples I can share with clients, but the one I like to start with is uh, actually a quite simple one uh, called the slow elevator problem. And I'll, I'll share it in a second, but the reason I like that story is it captures some essential things about the idea of reframing and also how it's different. From what you might think of as like root cause analysis and, and methods that that uh, your your listeners may be familiar with as well. So the slow elevator problem is that you are the owner of an office building that your tenants are complaining about the speed of the elevators too slow and they are annoyed. Now, what most people do, well, they just take that problem for granted, and maybe they don't even think about how it's framed, and they immediately hey. jump into
0: yeah. I, I got this. I'm an engineer. We, we need exactly, bigger right? hydraulic motors. We're going to make Just this cooling. thing go faster, put in a little bit better control so it will stop right. We got this figured out.
1: And, and that's so intuitive to many of us. And I think especially engineers who are really good problem solvers. Like, okay, making the elevator faster, I can figure that out. Now, when you talk to landlords who have experience with this type of problem, uh, they often suggest a slightly different type of solution. Which is to put mirrors up in the hallway around the elevator, and you know, the, 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 of course, what happens is people go like, "Oh, I'm busy, I'm busy, i They look up and they go, "Oh, it's it's beautiful," <laughs> you know, and they forget time. Um, now, the mirror is the mirror example is is that's important for several reasons because first of all, it's a solution to a different problem. It, the, the mirror does not make the elevator faster it solves the problem of people being annoyed with the weight. That's the core idea of reframing that going in. You can can still solve the problem probably by going out and buying a new elevator, but you might be much better off to do this much in a cheaper way by putting up a mirror uh, instead. Uh The mirror, to be clear, is not like, aha, this is the solution to slow elevator problems because this still, of course, depends on What's really going on? If the problem is that people are late for important meetings because of the elevator, then a mirror is not going to help you much. Uh, Then you have to go look for other framings of the problem as well. The the mirror is just a very memorable example of the core idea that you can find better solutions by questioning the problem you're trying to solve.
0: Right. And in this case, a much less expensive solution
1: than my approach of redoing the controllers and the hydraulic motors. And if I can add to that, I think the reason I also like that example is that it displays the difference between there's, – there's really two ways of looking for new framings on a problem. The one people are good at is to delve into the details. Like, we have the problem here now. Why is the elevator slow? And then we try to look for some creative like part of that system. To, uh, to make it faster. Maybe we can spread out the lunch breaks so, so people don't all arrive at the same time, whatever it is. What the example also highlights is you have to be careful about just delving into a problem that's been put in front of you. Because very often the solution is not to stay within the frame and scrutinize that really carefully, but to actually try to step back and see is there something else that has nothing to do with the speed of the elevator that we can consider mm-hmm. trying to work with.
0: Yeah. It's a very different problem people are getting annoyed waiting for the elevator versus the elevator slow getting me to the right floor exactly um, there, there's one I think about this in a, in a different context but I wanted to share it with you it's one of my favorite um, reframing examples for innovation and this yeah. is uh, Whisk the laundry d- detergent and so Whisk's claim to fame was they were the first liquid laundry detergent right so before mm-hmm. this we only had powders they held the, the top uh, position in the market for 10 years And then this thing, Tide, came around that was a competitor, right? And they did a really good job branding, and and WISC was losing their marketplace. Um, And so their reframing was to say, okay, how do we make our product better, right? And and you think about that, if we're a chemist, we'd go, okay, maybe we can formulate it differently, make it do a better job. Um, And at the time, what was going on in the population was uh, people – we had the white-collar generation occurring. Hmm. There were people – Were uh, men primarily, right, were uh, predominantly wearing white collars to to their professional jobs. Um, And during the day, the the sweat from your neck would build up on the collar and everyone knew this as ring around the collar. And all they did was they reframed the problem from, we're not a laundry detergent, right? They didn't try to compete on that level. They said, we fix this problem. We take out the ring around the collar. Um, And they stayed dominant, I think it was for 30 years more in the marketplace, just based on that marketing
1: reframing, right? It's so amazing to me to see this. And I think everybody in in dealing with innovation, especially customer-facing innovation, is uh, you you have to not understand just your own problems. You have to have the ability to reframe the customer's problem. And maybe even to a point where the customer isn't quite, you know, they couldn't tell you directly. You have to know their problem better than they do. I, I saw this beautiful example I write about in the book about uh, internal marketing posters. You know, when you're in a, work in a company, and somebody somewhere has come up with a new initiative they want you to sign up for, uh, and then they stick up these posters in the hallway. Sometimes, like kind of amateurishly designed, it's all wonderful. Um, and you can just so clearly see on those whether the people trying to recruit you for something are thinking about themselves or about you. Hmm. Because very often, they're talking about their fantastic solution. Here's what we've come come up with. Bells and whistles. Doesn't it look fancy? The ones that tend to succeed with that uh, are the ones that focus on your problem. They, literally, a, a team I work with, they put up posters with a slightly annoyed-looking woman going like, ah, oh, I have to finish these working documents in 18 hours. You know, And it just said, we can help you with that. Like So much more powerful than trying to to talk about all the fantastic features of your product. Just under, understanding what the, the customer's problem is uh-huh. and showing them that you understand it. They'll go like, oh, yeah, I have that problem. Let me pay attention to this. So, a beautiful story. I didn't know the whisk story. That That's a fantastic story.
0: It's a good one to go with your elevator story. So love that. Okay, take us through the steps of this. How can we get better at looking at a problem and going, oh, it's you know we should take time to examine it see if it's worth reframing or
1: not what where, where, where do we start with that uh really at a very high level and i love to keep it simple in order to make it usable not just in special meetings but in day-to-day life there's three steps to it uh, and it's almost like you know taking a step back and taking a step forward again you start by saying wait what's the problem we're trying to solve very very basically but that step is important because if you don't often people are in solution mode. They're like, how do we get this thing built? That's the problem. Like, no, no. Why are we building it? What, what's what's the problem we're trying to solve by building this thing? Once you have that, and that's not, like, that's not a long process. You literally just put a sentence or two on it or maybe you write it down very quickly. Then the second step comes and that's when you step back and basically say, is there a different way of thinking about that problem? Is there another way of looking at what might be going on? Um, and that's where the practice here, it can even be five minutes. It can be a very rapid practice. The, the important thing here is not to try to do some very super thorough analysis. you know you have to sit on a mountaintop for a month and, and think through everything. It's just about having a quick brainstorm almost, not on the solutions, but on thinking differently about the problems. Like we like we spoke about with the elevator, is this really about the speed of the elevator, or is there another way to think about what might be going on? Uh, I have some. I have some different strategies we can potentially delve into for that. But before we go there, the third and final step is really just to swing back into action, because the one danger of anything that has to do with problem analysis, if you will, is to get stuck in that phase. Like especially if we work with smart people, there is a tendency to to sit and ruminate forever over the problem instead of remembering we have to, at some point, step back into the real world, start talking to people, start testing whether we have the right framing, building a little bit of a prototype and so on. People are fairly good at that normally, but it's just an important reminder to kind of not get, get trapped in the thinking reframing phase alone. Okay, That's so, kind of it. Yeah,
0: yeah. so this is very much a, a innovation or product management process too but when we start looking at doing something new, a new idea, right? It's like We try to, we should hopefully be uh, usually analyzing the customer, a problem that they have. Uh, They're not experiencing value in solving that problem right now as much as they want. We think we might be able to bring ideas to that. We might be able to think about the problem differently and expand it a little bit, focus it, look at it from another angle. And then do the testing, build prototypes, see if we're on the right track, get get feedback from the customer and go from there. Okay. Would love to hear some specific strategies for each one of these about um, how, how do we make that happen? And I imagine to start with, if I'm trying to do this by myself, I'm immediately at a disadvantage, just just as an individual.
1: Yeah, very important. And th- this comes almost down to how you use this. Um, a couple of observations. One is that this is a, a very rapid practice. So it's not enough just to do one big, really heavy analysis up front and then think, OK, we got it now. This is... Important to master almost as a habit of mind. So when you later in the process the client calls and they have a problem, and they're asking for a solution. You have the ability to very rapidly stay, step in and say, "Wait." You say you want a green button on your website. Take 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 me a step back. What 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 are you trying to achieve? Like so, not as a very processary thing, but uh, as a day almost a daily practice or or habit you can step into. Uh, the second thing, and that's what you bring up, is really it's so difficult to do it alone. You you can, and it's that can be an okay starting point when you have a problem. But your first job should almost be to try to recruit even one or two other people to have a discussion with you about trying to reframe the problem because we're too close to our own problems uh, and we are too anchored in our own perspectives on the world. The second you have somebody in the room with you who thinks just a little bit differently from you, I mean, that's where you start seeing, you, you, you spot your your blind angles much more rapidly than trying when you're trying to when you're trying to do it alone. So that that's like a, a, a rule of thumb, if if you will. Um, other ideas. Now what I what I created in the book is really I have tried to boil it down to a few simple rules or almost ways of questioning uh, that helps making you it makes you better at finding those new angles on the problem. And they came out of Essentially, my work with uh, with uh, my clients, where I just started to notice which types of questions were consistently good at kind of bringing up a new angle on it. So, so I'll share an example of two of those um, strategies. We've already spoken about the importance of looking outside the frame, not not dump, jumping in directly and asking why is the elevator slow, uh, but stepping back and saying, is this really about the speed of the elevator, or is something else going on? Uh, another. Powerful example I think, or, or, or perspective, this is from root cause analysis, is bright spots. You go in, you try to look for positive exceptions. Have, has somebody else dealt with this problem? How do they cope? Uh, maybe you have somebody done, dealt with a similar problem, or even the most fascinating case, have you solved this problem before? In in, in uh, This is something I write about in the book, but in uh, therapy, there's actually a whole tradition, a, 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 a discipline built up around the assumption that people already know the answers to their own problems. They just have to be guided to find them. If you have a conflict in the family, your Thanksgiving dinners are always tricky. Was there one Thanksgiving that was different? Like, that Where you had a harmonious time together with your family, what was different about that day? Like, When you start looking... Or bright spots that that really comes back to um, Kepler and Trego's original work on uh, root cause analysis. Uh, after man. More, more of those if you, if you yeah, want to. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, yeah. yeah, I yeah. love
0: that one. The positive exceptions, right? It, has this been solved in some aspect before? Was there, like the elevator, was there a time that you weren't thinking about how slow the elevator was?
1: Um, exactly. That's right? good. Yeah. Uh, rethinking your goal, not just being clear about what your goal is, that's important but also actually questioning whether you are aiming for the right goal. Uh, I, again, I, I'll, I'll share a, uh, I often like to use personal life examples because they're, they're very memorable uh, and and people can kind of recognize it. You may have a friend who's uh, always complaining about one of their family members. And it's very easy when a friend is doing that is kind of to lean in and kind of say, Oh yeah, yeah, your, your sister, she does sound like she's being very unreasonable. Now, you might think that the goal is to support your friend in this and like sympathize, but deep down, what most people want is to have better relationships to their families. So maybe your role is actually not here to to bond with your friend over this, but to challenge them and, and to try gently to nudge them towards seeing their in this case their sister in in a kinder, more human light. So one of those things about thinking: what are we trying to achieve? What is the real or the best goal? Here for us to focus on, instead of just focusing on what's stopping us from from making progress, if you will. Uh-huh. Um, other examples, um, there is a beautiful one. That I, this comes back to the outside the frame thing. But uh, there is a uh, there's a company I know that uh, builds radars, and uh, when you build a radar, well, that's typically for uh, for government organization or something like that, and they have this whole list of specifications that you have you have to. You know, fulfill and do it as cheaply as possible. What they did very creatively was to say, apart from all these specifications, is there something else that's actually important uh, when when you're working with a radar? And they realized that most radars, they require something like 40 different specialized tools to maintain them. So they went in and said, that's not good. Uh, We can do this much better. And they ended up, the radar they suggested, which ended up winning, uh, they uh, said, you know what? You, our radar, you can maintain it using only two tools that you already have. So such a beautiful example of of just thinking beyond the scope of the problem that's presented to you and finding some new angle that really matters uh, to clients.
0: Yeah, and that point is very important for us as product managers and, and innovators, right? Looking at ways to add more value. You know, how how's the customer wanting to solve the problem? How are they doing now? And what's their a- actual... Problems within that, and um, I, I can just imagine. You know, however they did this research, right? Just asked their customers, or they were the ones doing the maintenance, or they went and watched and participated yeah. in the maintenance. And you quickly go, "Wow, that's a lot of tools to deal with."
1: Yeah, uh, and it's it's so fascinating to me when when people develop that ability to step back and almost reflect on their own ways of working. Uh, what one of the um, one of the other examples I, I talk about this method calling looking in the mirror, which is not the elevator mirror, but the idea of looking at your own role in a problem and trying to figure out how to do something different from what you're currently doing. Uh, In the product development space, uh, I tell the story of a manager called Maya Sin. He worked in Nickelodeon. And they had this challenge that they built a new app for kids uh, and they knew from testing kids loved the app. But when they had to sign up for it, uh, most of them dropped out of, of that first-time sign-on process because why they had to get uh, to, to put in their Verizon password in order to get access uh, access to it, and none of the kids, they just dropped out of the process. Now the team initially just went in and said, "Okay, we are masters at A/B testing. We are going to A/B test the heck out of this thing," and they did. And they uh, hundreds of permutations of the sign-up flow, and none of them moved the needle. What made the difference was that their leader, Maya, he stepped back and he said, you know what? We, we need to act differently if we are to solve this problem. And he said, instead of like getting stuck with all this A B testing, we're good at it, but it's not, not working for us. Let's try changing the way we, we study the problem. And what he did was essentially invite a couple of kids, their parents and in tow, into their building, sitting down next to them and talking to them and looking at them as they try to sign up for the, the, the thing. And what they realized immediately was, this has nothing to do with the difficulty of like usability or, or signing up in that sense. All of the kids, they knew, they knew how to navigate that. The central issue was, if you ask a 10-year-old kid for a password, that tells the kid they're in a place they shouldn't be. Like a website asking for a family password, that's like, uh-oh, this is not something I should be doing. And they dropped out. So instead of changing the flow, the, the solution they come, came up with was basically to add a short video saying, hi there, young grasshopper. It's perfectly fine to ask your parents for this password. They want mine. And that just 10 doubled their sign up. Uh, so really going in and trying to, instead of what we normally do with problems is to say, I'm the innocent party, my client or whoever, they're, they're idiots, uh, they're stupid, uh, and I wish I could change them. So going in and saying, what do I need to change about myself? How might the way I work or what I do be contributing to the problem that I'm trying to solve? Valuable advice for innovators, right? And and I'd say for in family (laughs) conflicts as well. Well, (laughs) As well, right?
0: Anytime we say that we need a smarter consumer, a smarter customer, we're in a bad place. There's something we need to change. Uh, one last question for you about this was as, you know, in those steps, the first thing is to kind of, you know, think about the problem are we aiming at the right thing and what's our goals? Um, any clues about how do we know if we're in the right place or we, we need to keep thinking about
1: this and reframing more? Yeah, I think there's, there's probably uh, three types of answers I kind to give to that. The first one is that this is an iterative process. So you're, you're kind of, Doing this repeatedly, you might Monday morning you start with a round of reframing, then you go out and do stuff, and then you revisit it Friday and say, "Hey, what have we learned? Are we on the right track or not?" Uh, this uh, the second level is really to go in and think about testing, because again, you you can't you know this is Steve Blank's uh, immortal words: "Get out of the building." Uh, that's very true. We do. We, we can't just figure it out in our heads. After having a reframing conversation, you have to go out and, and try to do small experiments or have conversation with people, or prototype, whatever you can, in order to confirm whether you're on the right track. And that's, I feel, that, that's one of the biggest and most valuable contributions from the whole lean startup philosophy. You, you have to get that right. Um, now, there's a third variation I've seen, uh, and that's Sometimes what happens in a reframing discussion is you hear a perspective and you immediately know you're, that's the right thing, and and this is quite interesting because you don't you don't always go out need to go out and test it because you in a sense you're bringing your past experience into that conversation and suddenly you're like oh wait well I noticed this weird pattern with our consumers or I I I I, I saw something I didn't quite understand but now you're saying this it all suddenly makes sense. Mm-hmm. So sometimes like we're not blank slates when we go into this conversation. We have prior experience. So one of the things I look out for in a conversation like that is actually the emotions. Like people have this like it's almost a physical sensation of like, oh, I hadn't thought about that. Or or and that tends to be it's not a guaranteed thing, but that tends to be a sign that you're onto something important.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially if we've really been struggling with the problem and getting our hands around it. And all of a sudden, someone shares something, and we all go, ah, that that's it, right? And it feels right. At least that's an area to test and pursue. And um, I like the reminder that this is an iterative, should be a habit, how we continue looking at problems. Okay, Absolutely. Thomas, wonderful insights. As everyone knows, I enjoy an innovation quote. What do you have for us,
1: and why is that one meaningful? Uh, the, uh, the quote I've chosen to share with you uh, this time is uh, from one of my personal Heroes within, uh, like you know, the space of public intellectuals, if you will, and that's Peter Drucker. And Peter Drucker, he was just this amazing character who, was almost unique about him, uh, like very few other people, you can say this about. You can pick up his book today, and it feels fresh. Like if you if you read books from the fifties, like most of them, no, but Drucker's writing, for some reason, has kept resonating throughout time. And the, the quote I wanted to share was. Uh, from one of his books in which he says, the most serious mistakes are not being made as a result of wrong answers. The truly dangerous thing is asking the wrong questions.
0: I very much like the quote because we're talking about, our, do we have the right questions? We're looking at the right problem. Should we, we, be, should we be reframing this?
1: Um, that, I think, encapsulates a lot, a lot of the ideas.
0: Yep. Very good. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for all the insights too. Tell us about the book, What's Your Problem? Uh, where we can find that and where people can learn more about you and your work. Yeah, uh,
1: I'd say if, if this starts some curiosity, I have uh, a couple of thoughts for you. One is actually uh, the first book I wrote. Since this is a community of innovators, uh, this is a book called Innovation as Usual, which uh, Harvard Business Press at well, in which I went in and focused on what it takes to innovate outside of a Silicon Valley Environment. When you are not, you know, you may be working in a conservative industry. You may be rule bound, whatever. Uh, so that's one immediate thought I, I thought might be relevant for some of your your listeners. Um, I'd say with the book, I mean, yes, it's it's. Uh, you, you showed it here before. It is uh, on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, wherever you buy books. Um, I'd say more than than the book as such. Uh, what I'm really trying to do here is to try to democratize reframing in the sense that i want more people to be capable of doing it but I, more so i actually want to be more people make more people aware of why it what it is and why it is important i dream of a world in which when you come to a client uh, the client doesn't say why are we talking about the problem give me your solution uh they say oh yeah reframing and and they may not be good at it but they know it's important and so suddenly there's a space for you to do your work around helping them figure out the right problems to solve so the, the biggest request I really have is please talk about this, like please, please share uh, the concept of reframing with colleagues, clients, tweet about it, whatever you can, because I think it is high time that that we uh, fix this missing gap in in our collective toolbox, if you will.
0: Yep, very good. It's important how we approach problems, and uh, the, although it might not actually have been Einstein's quote, I just love that one. You know, if I had to solve the, the world's problems, something important, you know, he said. I spend the first 55 minutes analyzing the problem and then the solution would appear in the last five, right? um, And if people want to reach out uh, to you uh, personally, thank you for being part of this or anything else. How could they do that? Uh, Website, LinkedIn or something?
1: Uh, The easiest way is just to jump onto uh, Uh, howtoreframe.com. That's the book's website and there's a contact form there as well. Uh, you can also try Googling my surname if you can spell it. I'll <laughs> uh, put it in the show I, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> Oh, yeah. Even better, I have a website that's on uh, thalaswaddell.com.
0: Okay, excellent. Well, you will put that out there as well. And this has been very good. I appreciate the time uh, diving into this more. I think it's a really important topic for product managers and innovators because we, we get caught up solving problems pretty, you know, more easily than actually knowing if we're on the right problem or not. So yeah. glad we could discuss this. Thanks so much for inviting me, sir. Thank you. Thanks again for listening. I do hope you take a few seconds now to register for the free online event of the year to help your career in so many ways. Just go to the slash summit and register for free. Don't forget, do it now. Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit TheEverydayInnovator.com.